and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 426. That's right. Uh, we are wrapping up Future State tonight, right? That's the plan, unless we want to do Tom and Jerry the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't watched it yet. Uh, I, I haven't either. <laughs> I, knew it was com- I knew it was coming out but it, like intellectually, but when I logged in just the day it came out uh, to watch something else, so I, I, and it hit me in the face, you know, because it's the first thing that pops up. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's out. <laughs> and we're like, what, 16 days as we record the 16 days away from uh, Justice League. So. Oh, yeah, that is right around the corner, even though yeah, uh, we'll see what kind of steaming pile that turns out to be. <laughs> yeah, we'll I'll save my comments for when we talk about it on the show, whether it's its own episode or what. Oh, we can make uh, that's another thing we actually completely zoned out about, which tells you our probably our overall enthusiasm level. But yes, that is absolutely another thing we can do. We can get an episode out of real, real easy um, be- before before Godzilla and Kong. So. Uh, all right. So which issues uh, are we talking about specifically? We said we're wrapping up Future State, but what are we talking about tonight? We're doing it, as far as actual reviews go, full reviews. Um, we make no guarantee of how lengthy our reviews are. Our synopses will be. But we're doing House the House of L one shot. We're doing Generations Forged since we did Generations Shattered. We kind of like it kind of is a segue to the end of Future State in opening the door i suppose to a little bit to infinite frontier and we're going to be talking about the future state swamp thing and a few other and and chad has some feedback and some comments some listeners about some of the future state stuff so and we're going to do and speaking of feedback we're going to do listener feedback on at the very end of the episode continuing on with our twitter contest feedback Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, for sure. All right. So uh, first up, we're going to talk about Future State House of L. Uh, so first of all, I just I just want to talk about the cover just real quick. Uh, we don't have to like I said, we don't have to spend a, a lot of time on it, but I do like the cover and I do like the cover art uh, kind of like a, it gives a sort of Celtic sort of uh, medieval sort of feel. And I think that's kind of cool uh, for those of you uh paying attention along at home that the cover is by Yannick Paquette and Nathan Fairbairn. So uh, I, I know the name, I know, I know Yannick Paquette. I've seen that name around quite a bit. So that's not surprising to me that this is so cool looking, but uh, what do you, what do you think of this cover? It's one of the things that drew me in when it was solicited. I do like the cover, even though I, when you think about it, the cover kind of, kind of does give away a big spoiler in the issue, but it's <laughs> true. No, though it is probably not an unexpected spoiler but in all honesty i when i was reading the story i completely didn't you know i zoned out about the about the cover and didn't 
So, and we know covers can be completely misleading to begin with. So it doesn't necessarily didn't have to be a spoiler based on content. It just turned out to be. Yeah. So uh, the we're talking tonight. So here uh, we got Future State uh, House of L. Now the writer of this story is Philip Kennedy Johnson. Uh, the artist is Scott Godleski. Uh, I talked about the cover. The variant cover was by J. Anel Seto and Romulo Fajaro Jr. Gabe Elatabe is a colorist, and Owls P- Troy Pateri is the letterer. Bixi Matteo is the assistant editor. Brittany Holzher and Jamie S. Rich are the editors. Um, so I made some notes here because we have there are a couple of characters to keep track of. Lots of stuff in the background, people wearing S shields. But the things you need to pay attention to are, are thusly. This takes place uh, on the Fortress of Sanctuary, uh, also known just simply as Sanctuary, which is located on the moon. And this takes place in the future, in the far future. Um, some of the main players we have here are Brainiac 4, who is referred to as Bry, shorthand Bry. We have someone, uh, lots of people sort of bear the mantle sort of collectively of Superman, but the main Superman is Ronan Kent, uh, R-O-N-A-N. Uh, and, uh, then we have, um, Theander, uh, Theander is, uh, a, uh, Again, this is all House of L. These people are somewhat related to Kal-El, but far future. So, you know, what their lineage is precisely and, and who slept with who to create this person, I don't know. But Theander is very clearly a Tamaranian in some part. We have Brandon, who is her father, uh, Brandon Kent, uh, and uh, we don't know anything really about him. Um, we have Con-El and his wife, Allura. Allura is the leader of the Valkyries, and Connell is sort of like their, I don't know, tactical command in a way, in terms of their, uh, the, I guess their general. Uh, he's their, uh, the leader of, uh, of Warworld, essentially. Uh, and uh, Warworld has been, and, and the residents thereof have been co-opted, and they're, they're part of the fight with the elves. They're not, they're not you know evil individuals or anything then we have rowan and rowan is the blue lantern and she is uh ronan's sister okay so that's those are those are our main players uh we kind of open up in the middle of the conflict on sanctuary and they are fighting parademons as they collectively fight parademons get rid of the in in, you know the uh, encroaching force and uh return back to base uh they check in with brainiac four to kind of figure out where things are with the battle and what's happening. Uh, talk about what resources they have. They uh, compare notes. The war zones, which is the war world stuff I mentioned, they're holding up 15% casualties and the rest are exhausted, but they'll never admit it. They'll be fighting long after we're dust. And then the Lura says the world world engines are 74, 74%. The Valkyries are standing by for the next run. Superman, Ronan's checks in with uh, Theander and she says 62 Tamaranian warriors remain able-bodied. 20 more could fight if called upon. Brainiac 4 uh, checks in and says AI and automatons are operating at 58% capacity. Omni turrets are at 36. We're using them up. Med droids, transporters, uh, and repair droids are mostly functional, but the Red King has begun targeting support units. I understand you're relying on the automatons to spare organic lives, but they won't last another wave. 
and we'll get through it. We've faced worse odds. And that's when uh, Rowan shows up, the Blue Lantern uh, Superman that we uh, I, I mentioned it when I said this was coming out. Uh, they embrace and she updates her brother saying that the coalition of lanterns has failed. There's never been an army like the one that's coming. The Red King commands not just Apocalypse, but the gods of New Genesis as well. He has an armada made up of, of the ships of every world he's conquered, and that's not the worst of it. The Red King himself is with them. The United Planets did hear a request for reinforcements, but I saw what was left of them. We are alone. And we see a flash of broken ships and uh, uh, Thanagarians and so on and so forth just scattered to... Um, the uh, the void of space. He refuses to give up hope uh, and says Bry's been scanning for the sector for United Planets forces. And Brainiac 4 interrupts and says, I actually haven't. Uh, we've spent a, sent aid requests for weeks in all directions. If anyone else was coming, they'd be here. I've been devoting all my energies to the defense, recalculating strategies for the AI, directing the Omniturrence, and so on and so forth. And uh, that's when Allura says, if you're not scanning for uh, United Planet ships, what are these star maps for? I don't think I should say yet. It's the very longest of long shots, but we need some hope. Uh, then an alarm goes off, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just wanted to read that specific part so we kind of know where we're at here and what the situation is. An alarm goes off. The next wave is approaching of parademons and uh, some such they fight each other. Battle goes as you expected. Some wins, some losses. Um, uh, Brandon Kent uh, swoops in on some parademons who are touting some kryptonite. Uh, he flies up, uh, takes them off. They're, they're basically wearing kryptonite suicide vests. Flies off uh, so that they don't kill his daughter, Theander. Uh, he explodes. He uh, obviously dies from this. Theander kind of loses it and takes out as a, a big swath of of these creatures and invading force. Uh, Brainiac says he he found it and he's going to uh, launch the fastest orphan box enabled AI drone to point of origin immediately. There's hope. A drone flies off. Uh, Brainiac pokes his head out and just speaks to Allura and says, "It doesn't matter. I found it." And then uh, the Black Racer shows up and kills Brainiac. Uh, they try to take down the Black Racer, but the Black Racer is uh, out of there. All of a sudden, Brainiac 4 starts talking, but it's not Brainiac 4. It is uh, the voice of the Red King coming through Brainiac 4, warning them and telling them to giving them one last chance to sort of bow before him. Uh, they obviously refuse. Uh, that night, the Ronin... Uh, speaks with Theander and she's talking about all the tales of their past and how they used to tell stories of Kal-El and maybe they, that's all they were, just stories. And I wonder if there ever really was a Kal-El at all. Um, they talk about how, and it doesn't really matter, he was real to Brainiac 4, he was real to Brandon. Uh, we'll honor them all tomorrow. And at first light, we have... Uh, uh, the Red King's forces bearing down on them, including a uh, a phalanx of doomsdays. Um, they all fight for truth and justice and charge into battle. Uh, the Black Racer is a part of all of this as well, and Allura captures her, and uh, they go up against each other. But uh, as the back and forth happens, uh, Connell gets smacked down, and we see the Red King who is also sporting an S-Shield, and this is uh, Pyrrhos, uh, P-Y-R-R-H-O-S. And he is the son of Superman. 
he refers to all these individuals I've mentioned so far as cousins, but he is this, he is Kal-El's son. And um, they are fighting against each other, Brandon and, and the Red King, while, uh, while Rowan, the Blue Lantern, sets up a shield and tries to protect everyone uh, from the various uh, doomsdays that are about to surround them and, and get them down. All of a sudden, there's a shockwave and cold and loud sounds, and everything is still, and all their enemies are gone except for the Red King. He says, it's you, show yourself, face me. And then there is Superman himself, Kal-El. The Red King says, Mother said you'd find a way, one back. And he says, Cersei gives me too much credit. It was Brainiac 4 who found my way back. Uh, And then later on, he says, you were born of magic and deception intended by Cersei to be the end of the elves, the end of everything. I had higher hopes for you. Smacks him down. He says, the dimension I've come from needs a Superman. Uh, Apparently that's enough to change the Red King's mind. Uh, they join forces and fly off, uh, but not before Kal-El can speak to Theander uh, and say that uh, I know Brandon felt the same. Uh, very proud of you all. Uh, and, you know, I'll come back. Uh, just use this to give people hope. And that is that is that. That's the best I could do with a bunch of characters that we haven't met before. <clears throat> And it's hard to care much about characters that you have no investment in, <laughs> especially when they give you the great deception and the big, they have the, the a serious doom and gloom narration as the story begins that makes it sound like, oh, you know, this is all fruitless and pointless and it's only delaying the inevitable. Everybody, you know, pretty much everybody we're about to talk, talk about is going to be dead pretty much by the end of this, by the end of the story. And of course, oh, all of a sudden that changes on a dime. I like the art for the most part in the story. Mm-hmm. The story itself was kind of it's convoluted. I know I did watch Dan's thing about how far in the future this thing takes place, like in the year in the three thousands or whatever the hell it is. It's like how is super? I don't care where Superman's banished. How is he still alive? How is Superman's son still alive? Uh, and then again, we don't know when he how we don't know when this son was created. So in the kind of going the magic route, so it's kind of like more like Mordred and King Arthur. You kind of get a vibe off of what they were going for with the with the offspring. I. The Red, you know, somehow because it's the Red King and it's related to New Genesis and Apocalypse, you think somehow that must have some relation to, you know, the God in Red, even though obviously now we're talking thousands of years apart. Yeah. So, but yet there has to be a tie-in because because there's too much there's too much of a connective tissue between what we know, what, even what we got in out of Green Lantern Future State for there not to be any kind of connection. The Blue Lantern thing was more of a it was like more of a gimmick to draw suckers like you and I in. But it really didn't do much for the story. The only thing that was somewhat interesting is that she's able to use her. You know, she's able to do a fair amount with her ring, considering that there's no Green Lanterns around. But then again, you know, so far in the future, maybe things have changed. I did like the Coalition of Lanterns thing, which is interesting. Because what it reminded me of, though, again, this is so far in the future, it made me nothing. That when you did the recap for Justice Future State Justice League the one, and you did the prologue when everybody has their little little snippet about who they are, where they came from, and they're kind of like what they're known for. When you did the recap on Joe, and this was completely open to uh, interpretation, so that's why I didn't mention this at the time. But you read Joe's little thing as in she united the core just in time to solve Owa's greatest mystery, and I actually read it that she united the cores as in all the lantern cores. That's the Mm -hmm. way I read it. And since cores is plural and singular, uh, that it's uh, two cores is still C-O-R-P-S. So 
it was open to interpretation. But when I read that line about the coalition of lanterns or however she phrases it, that made me go back and think of that. Maybe, you know, maybe possibly, you know, my interpretation may, you know, may have been correct or could end up being correct since we know there's nothing set in stone here, but it was, it was okay. I mean, I don't think it was, it wasn't anything special. There were so many damn friggin' relatives of that. We, again, we have no idea who, we really have no idea who anybody is and where they fit into things other than you kind of get a lineage to Brandon as in some of the other lanterns to Brandon, but we don't really, we really don't know much relation to anybody to Superman until uh, Puro shows up. <laughs> That's the only one we know directly goes back to him. Obviously when we talk about infinite frontier, we can talk about a little bit about Puros as in maybe there's a little bit of vibe off Puros that, you know, the specter is picking up on or confusing sons of Superman and things like that. Or again, it's just so many different possibilities. Uh, but nonetheless, I thought it was okay. I wasn't, I was actually a little disappointed in, in, in the story. The army of doomsdays was cool. I did like that. That was, that was like a, that was like a whoa moment when I was reading the story. I thought the army of doomsdays, but when you actually think about it, that, you know, the, the Superman's son was the red King and kicking everybody's ass. And yet they have a whole, basically a whole moon full of Superman. And yet nobody could have, oh, nobody no, could have called no, no pure blood Kryptonians. Yeah, that is true. That is true. That, 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 that is a, that is a, well, then again, technically he's not technically uh Puros wouldn't be pure blood Kryptonian either. He still would only be half. I mean, direct descendant of Kal-El. Right, and, that watered and, down. And, what, yeah, pa- I mean, and powered by magic and who yeah. knows how much yellow radiation or even blue sunlight radiation if he's been conquering other you know, uh, other uh, solar systems. So, you know, who, you know how much radiation he that is that, that That is that is true. But uh, so I, I thought I thought it was OK. It wasn't I didn't think it was anything to write home about. So uh, I kind of went into it expecting not a whole lot uh, because we knew it was going to be a one shot, but not a, like a super long one. Uh, they didn't say it was like an extra size issue or anything. It was relatively large, but it wasn't necessarily uh, a, an, uh, an extra size issue or a double size or anything like that. So I expected that whatever we were introduced to would wrap up relatively quickly. Uh, I wasn't necessarily prepared for the almost panel to panel dime change for that the Red King went through. Piros, um, but you know, uh, whatever. Uh, at, at you know, it's would I would I rather have sacrificed characterization of these new characters to make them you know, like you know which would I have preferred <laughs> a more long drawn out conversation between uh, Piros and Kal-El or would I would have preferred you know giving some weight to these characters you're introducing that we're supposed to care about? I mean, at the end of the day the whole thing was going to be a quick one and done anyways. So I guess the heel turn isn't as bad as introducing me to characters that, you know, you don't give me really anything for them to me to care about them. And it's not like we dig too deep into their histories, but we get just enough to sort of make some speculation and kind of, you know, think about it a little bit. Um, I particularly like Theander, but you know, I've, I've always liked Starfire. So uh, the Tamaranian culture and how that kind of, uh, meshes with the house of l concept that's kind of cool to me um her father kind of looking like uh an old clark kent or, or whatever just everybody's in this this cool medieval gear or you know battle gear or something like that and this dude's just in a shirt and jeans <laughs> just flying around kicking some ass uh so that's kind of cool um but uh yeah the blue lantern it raises some possibilities of how she's able to offensively fight like this Again, she's part Kryptonian, so she probably has a lot of her own offensive capabilities, but she is using a spear. 
uh, a construct spear, no less, as well as a shield. So you're kind of left to wonder, you know, where, where, how much of her power, blue lantern power, is she using in the actual fight versus whatever inherent Kryptonian abilities she has? Uh, it's interesting, Puros. Uh, you know, based on what, based on what Kal-El sound says, it sounds like the same situation that Bruce and Talia went through to get Damien. Like it wasn't necessarily a uh, a willing night of passion to to, to get Puros. Like Cersei put him under a spell for her own nefarious needs, and ended up birthing Puros. So he is a true illegitimate son, kind of like Damien was. Roofied Superman. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking. I think it was cool. Uh, Connell's wife being called Allura makes me kind of wonder. You know what? You know that 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 name means something. Who? Who co-opted that name uh, into the House of L? Did did she end up becoming friends with Superman and renouncing Zod? Like, how did things end up happening without her? Is it just someone found the name and liked it because it was part of Kryptonian culture and just decided, uh, we'll we'll make it our own thing? I, I don't know. Uh, but that name means something very specific, so it makes me just wonder, you know, what happened with the original Allura? Um the the biggest part here for me in terms of thinking about its connection to the rest of the DCU is the United Planets. That is a huge concept in in uh, the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, the United Planets is a is a big thing over there, and not to mention, uh, and, and this is the only thing I'll say in terms of uh, something specific about the Infinite Frontier book that came out today as we record this. John Stewart mentions the formation of the United Planets uh, happening, quote unquote, currently in the Infinite Frontier book. So it's interesting, you know, and then, of course, you have Brainiac 4. Brainiac 5 is a member of the Legion of Superheroes. Um, so I think that's I think that's interesting. You, you try to put it in a timeline. To me, things get a little shaky in terms of timelines when you're talking about the Legion of Superheroes and stuff like this. But then you're also supposed to remember that somehow in the far future, we're supposed to go, uh, we're supposed to somehow throw Commandy's universe and world in there. <laughs> we're supposed to, you know, this this one lone human boy among these talking animals and shit. And then, then we're supposed to get to the Legion of Superheroes. Like, I don't know... <laughs> where where that where that sand where, i don't know where the commandy world kind of sandwich points in all that uh i didn't i didn't look at the full timeline but uh just thinking aloud yeah that and then of course what happens in swamp thing uh in this future state swamp thing which i'll mention briefly later on but yeah that's what i'm thinking about that's that's about it i i, I did like how i did like it how it sort of connected to everything though so I think clearly in a bunch of these issues, they try to do some things that connect to others. And sometimes it's more successful. Sometimes it's not. We'll have to see how all this shapes shapes up. I'm again, from a Green Lantern perspective, I'm not overly thrilled with the seeming direction that we're going in from in multiple areas. So we're going to have to see how this plays out as a story. That's almost like a one off because it's so far in the future that even if they were try, even if they try to make, you know, at least one one of the. 3000 the endless univi now in the in the omniverse that, in, that there's at least one universe in which everything absolutely comes true in future state across the board and they were actually doing stories in true continuity to get us there it still would take us a gazillion years of stories so i don't it was you know it was not a, it was not a it was not a bad read but i could have done without reading it let's put it this way now that i've read it if it, especially be, 
if it wasn't so far in the future, the stuff related to the red, you know, the red King and the garden red, and that, that would have been really interesting. Now it just makes you try to bang your head against a wall, trying to figure out how there has to be some kind of connective tissue because there's too much, there's too much in common there for them not to be related at all. Unless it's one of those things where it's like one of those key moments in time that, you know, in some way, shape or form, you'll always keep like the, like a, the, like the Terminator timelines where you keep hitting these same beats, no matter when you hit them, even if you kick the can down the road, eventually you kind of get to the same place that unless it's one of those, one of those situations where if you don't, well, if it's not the God in red, you'll get the red King. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you also have to take into consideration that apparently, uh, Piros has, uh, has taken over the forces of both apocalypse and new Genesis. And if the red King slash, if the red God was Orion and he has taken over uh, new Genesis, then, you know, maybe he drew some inspiration from that somehow. That is true. That is a possibility. All right. What's next? Well, if we want to end with chat forged on future state, then we probably should do the other future state stuff. We should do All Swamp right. Thing, probably. Yeah, so we are not recapping Future State Swamp Thing 1 and 2. Uh, I will m- briefly mention what happens uh, uh, in it. Uh, and keep in mind, guys, if you are interested in reading it, this is a spoiler because essentially what I'm telling you right now is revealed at the as a final page reveal of the first issue. So if you are interested, maybe skip ahead or whatever. Um, but if it's not that big of a deal, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, this is a far-flung future that is supposed to take place after the events of the issue we just recapped, uh, as well as the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, this is supposed to take place quite a, quite a while after. But this is a world in which the remaining humans have retreated north into the snow, uh, into the ice and everything, and the uh, and plant-like beings uh, ruled by uh, Papa Green or the Green or whatever, aka Swamp Thing, um, are are large by and large uh, the the rest of the populace of the planet. At the end, we see that uh, Wood uh, Woodrow, Jason Woodrow is uh at one of the leaders of this uh sect of humans that have locked themselves in to the uh the star fortress uh in 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 at the north and we see that they were, were told the truth some people were executed because they told the truth about the undying man and the coming of the obsidian sun uh, so w- when that is said, we see a cryo chamber and in that cryo chamber is obsidian, AKA Todd, uh, Todd Rice. We, uh, w- when issue two opens, we're given some, a little bit of more information about everything that's kind of happening here with, uh, with Todd. He was in cryostasis. They're channeling his, uh, his energy levels and, you know, ready to unleash that at some point. Basically, they're under the impression that Jason Woodrow is using this to help save them against these plant creatures. But really what Woodrow's plans are, are to use Obsidian's energy to basically cast the world into shadow uh, to help kill off everybody, including uh, the green. And, you know, Todd doesn't come to life or anything. He doesn't fight for himself. He doesn't have a speaking role. He doesn't say anything in this story. But he is a he is a he is a without having a speaking role without you know anything he has a key role 
in the events of this story. Because as it turns out, the the kind of fail-safe that Jason Woodrow has put on this is that this thing is going to go off no matter what Swamp Thing and his forces do. So how does how does Swamp Thing save uh, himself and his people and humanity uh, from this eternal darkness that Jason Woodrow is trying to release? And that is kind of the 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 pinnacle of what happens in this story. Now you said you watched uh, you watched uh, Dan's video uh, that talked about House of Hell. He also talked about uh, Swamp Thing. This is. I said we we should probably talk about it a little bit before I saw his video, but you know, when you talk about similar things, that <laughs> I, I assume we have we end up having similar ideas about what we're going to cover and when. Um, so of what you saw about the the future state swamp thing stuff mentioned in Dan's video, and by the way, guys, what we're talking about the Mosaic Comics YouTube channel. That's what Dan Kurtzke is doing right now. Uh, so he's got a lot of recaps and thoughts and stuff like that about Lantern related appearances and stuff, including things we haven't covered and may not cover uh, on the show. Uh, so definitely, if you're looking for more Green Lantern content, go watch that. Uh, but anyways, what do you think of what you did see of Future State Swamp Thing in Dan's video? I mean, it, it appealed to me a little bit. I mean, I didn't really think at the time of getting Future State Swamp Thing, even though I do have a knack. I have a weakness for Swamp Thing. I read Swamp Thing in the, in the 70s. Uh, so I always it's one of those things that always echoes back for me. So when they whenever they do another Swamp Thing series, I almost always not always, but almost always I begin reading it to start with. And then if it grabs me, I continue it for a while. If not, I let it go. It's kind of like on some, not quite as much of an attachment, but similar to Werewolf by Night. That when they most of the time when they've tried to restart Werewolf by Night, I will try to read it. Like Rom too, even though Rom is really different, since obviously it's not Marvel Rom, since they don't have the rights to it anymore. It's always a completely different incarnation and interpretation of the character. Uh, the Obsidian stuff is kind of cool. I know that appeals more to you, but I mean, I, I have an, you know, I have a, a very loose interest in, in Jenny and Obsidian because of the ties to Alan. So it it was, it was kind of cool. I thought, but now I guess those were my, my basic initial thoughts to the the concepts and everything in, in the issue. Yeah, speaking of where we're going with things and, and picking up new issues, you you said you picked up the new Swamp Thing series that came out. Today? I did not read it yet, but I do have Sw- yes, I do have Infinite Frontier Swamp Thing number one. Yeah, uh, so uh, it's worth mentioning uh, both issues we're talking about tonight uh, in terms of the stuff we've already talked about, uh, Swamp Thing as well as House of L. House of L was written by Philip Kennedy Johnson. For those of you playing along at home, Philip Kennedy Johnson is going to be the writer of Action Comics and Superman moving forward. So if you liked sort of the ideas or how Superman was written or if anything in particular about the writing and or plot of House of L, now keep in mind, obviously it's the far future, but if anything about that really kind of grabbed you, Philip Kennedy Johnson is taking over Superman and action comics. Um, His first issue of each of those is supposed to cross over with one another. And then both series split off into their own individual storylines for each series. Uh, How long he'll be doing that? I don't know. And as of Swamp Thing, uh, Future State Swamp Thing was written by Ram V. Ram V is uh, writing the new Swamp Thing series, which is, I believe, a limited run. Yeah, Um, one one of six, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so definitely, if you, if you liked anything about the Future State Swamp Thing, again, both of those issue, both of those uh, series uh, for Future State, far, far, far future. 
But if you like the, the writing, the plot, the sort of voice uh, that is captured in those books, that, those are your uh, writing pathways to follow post-Future State to keep up with those characters and properties. Uh, personally, I also read the Ram V uh, Infinite Frontier uh, uh, swamp thing today. I, I enjoyed it. I think like a lot of things, you're going to have to need to give it issue two to decide if you want to keep up with it. Cause you really only kind of get your setting in issue one, uh, issue two seems like you'll actually kind of get a little bit more meat. Uh, but I think that's kind of true. Most comics, anytime a new series starts now, you got to at least give it till issue two. You know, if you, if if money is super tight, then obviously maybe not. But if if money isn't necessarily an object, then to really understand if you like the series or not, I I kind of feel you got to give things to issue to until issue two these days. Um, but yeah, those are your tendrils to follow. So that is House of L. That is Swamp Thing. And now I guess we close out Future State. Sort of. I mean, in terms of what we're covering, there will be some more Future State related stuff. I believe they announced Future State Gotham. Is the yeah, title? I think, yeah, I think so. So uh, there will be more DC Future State, uh, but there is not any for us to discuss. So that leaves us with the conclusion, uh, the sandwich point uh, for this universe with Generation Forged. All right. So Generations Forged. I'm going to before I'm going to do the creative team, but I'm going to go my recap. I will try to be hit the major beats on this. I'm not going to. It's. I'm just not going to spend a whole lot of time with a lot, with a lot of in in story detail, if you will. Uh, if there's something in particular I overlooked that you want to mention, feel free to throw that out there. But I'm just going to touch on the important things. So, Generation Forged, writers Dan Jurgens, Robert Venditti, Andy Schmidt, whole bunch of artists, which I, as a general rule, I'm ten, I tend not to be a fan of in books like this. Uh, but uh, Mike Perkins, Marco Santucci, Paul Pelletier, and, and Norm Rapmond, Bernard Chang, Joe Prado, Colleen Duran, Brian Hitch, and Andrew Curry, Dan Jurgens, and Kevin Nolan. They all did art in here. Hi-Fi was the colorist. Tom Napolitano, letterer, Liam Sharp cover, variant cover, Raphael Al- Albuquerque and Brad Anderson, and the Superman credits, as usual, to Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. So we pick up where we left off, which was... This ragtag group of time plucked out of time heroes were, were sent scattered through different points in the shrinking, soon to be destroyed timeline of that Dominus is playing playing games with. And he's still trying to figure out exactly like, you know, why these of all characters, why these people were able to, you know, basically be even little uh like gnats hovering around him in his master plan. Dominus, as we kind of saw in the last issue, there's like Dominus is like a little a little bit of Jigsaw. He's a little bit of John Kramer. He's a little bit of Parallax and really appropriate based on the timing of this issue. He's he's a lot. He's a little bit of Wanda from WandaVision, <laughs> even going back to the like 19, the black and white, almost like 1950s kind of like idyllic world that he creates for his dream world with his family, which, again, he does not have entire he does not have entirely a full grasp of this of control over it either. There are things that happen that he doesn't want, but then he just re, kind of rewinds it and fixes it. So it is kind of similar to Wanda. The, the bulk of the story, we pick up where the, where the different characters were sent, why they were not sent individually to different timelines. It's a good question. <laughs> Plot armor, maybe. But instead, they all seem to they all were sent in, in, in different groups, you know, subgroups together. So you have uh, Starfire and Dr. Light and Commandy which was one of the more interesting parts because they get sent to Krypton. 
So we're dealing with like classic Jarrell wearing, you know, green headband Krypton, as we find out as the story goes on. And the coolest thing about this story is the fact that that Dr. L- in this and in, in this timeline, Dr. Light is essentially responsible for Superman becoming Superman because of the fact that she's able to to use her powers to basically delay the Kryptonian red sun from blowing up just so it can last a little bit longer because Lara otherwise in this timeline, in this universe, wouldn't be giving, be giving birth before the planet was destroyed. So that was, that was, that was kind of clever. You have back in, you have in prehistoric Thanagar, you have Superboy in steel, which was kind of interesting where Superboy Legion Superboy is desperate to find out about his future and what happens and, and things that he does and steals trying to follow the Marty McFly uh, idea of not, not, you know, not telling somebody about their future too much at the same time. He's, he knows that this kid is going to grow up to be the person who basically has inspired him to be all that he is. You also have in about electric city, you have booster and you have Sinestro and, and during all their little travels and travails, you have the, the army that Dominus, excuse me, Dominus put together they show up in different groups too to, to wipe out these characters to try to eliminate them to make sure that there's no way they can be more of, of throw more, any more wrenches into his into Dominus's plans one by one or I should say in groups really they all figure out a way to get out of the place that they're in like Dr. Light's able to use her powers steel conveniently enough off off camera is able to use one of the time bands that the I think was it the, the it was the eradicators time band in particular so it was kind of appropriate that off off camera he's able to figure out the tech because Dominus being the typical evil genius sent all these characters to wipe out the heroes but he basically gave them a one way ticket they they were never coming back to their own timelines or anything else he was planning on leaving them there as the nothingness crept back in and wiped them all out some of the bad guys figure this out in time and they join up with the heroes my poor eradicator doesn't he and uh, but nemesis boy they would get wiped out in Thanagar. But all the but all the heroes and some and some of the villains that were sent to wipe them out all arrive together in Vanishing Point. They all come up with, with a strategy. They they kind of, they kind of see the world that Dominus has created. They see that he's kind of that there's a potential vulnerability there. They count they come up with a two part plan where they're going to first try to reason with him, which is the 1930s Batman's role. But they're also planning on when that, they inev- inevitably know that's going to fail. So they have the backup, which is as soon as that they try to reason with them, it doesn't work. They're going to go after him and they do go after him. They find out that, you know, basically by attacking him and breaking its concentration, things kind of start uh, glitching a little. They start they actually start destroying his his construct is all an, an elaborate energy construct, which Sinestro was real quick to pick up on. Super elaborate even more elaborate than Green Lantern constructs, but that's all that's really going on. The more they damage the city, the more he Dominus loses control, but he also becomes more unbalanced. You kind of get some hodgepodge of how they figured out that the, the nodules on his breastplate seem to be like a focal point for his power. So they attack those. Batman has the idea that, hey, can to, to boost your gold, hey, can you get inside this guy? Can you can your powers get me inside him? Because he's a lord because Dominus was a former Lord of Order. They get inside him, so they end up you have a bit like it's almost like a, there's a machine inside of him, which is kind of like giving him his feeding him his power. So they basically stop the machine. There's a portrait on the wall, which reminds me of the of that the, the Kyle portrait and his parallax one shot, which is like this almost like Dominus's soul and a memory of a of a really what's really important to the essence of him. They just des- they destroy the por- they destroy the machine. 
Dominus is kind of like Dominus is weak and he's trapped like next to his portrait. So he's not really destroyed back in vanishing point. You kind of find, you find out Dominus really didn't destroy anything at the completely at the time. He more or less was like scooping, scooping things out and moving them away. So he was taking chunks of time out. And as soon as that obstacle got removed, basically like all that water, like flowed back into the bucket and everything, everything was resetting itself. We get an introduction of a cons that this universe that all these heroes were plucked from before. You know, we they, we get told they're different, but we don't get a full explanation until basically Batman's like the last one left, and and uh, Wave Rider kind of fills him in that this whole universe that all these characters, these heroes were plucked from, is unique because it's the linearverse, <laughs> multiverse, omniverse, linearverse. We have verses up the wazoo, but that what's unique about the linearverse is that pretty much everything that really happens, you know, everything that happens or we know that happens in our main DCU, but it gets stretched out over time because how the, since the Batman of 1938 can't be the one that fights Bane, whether in this universe, it is the same Batman because time moves really, really slow. So it's almost like a, they don't give this in particular, but you, you guess you can imagine like a decade is like a year almost. So like 50 years of like five years in their time and or something like, so all these things can actually take place. And Wave Rider gives one of the time bands to Batman and says, hey, in the of a real crisis, a true crisis, basically you can use this. And that pretty much is Generations Forged. So, all right. So it was, it was okay. I, I hesitate to, to give any sort of definitive commentary on it. And I'll say that I'll, I'll, I'll preface everything I'm about to say by saying this. When this issue came out and I opened it, I wasn't nearly as, uh, I don't want to say excited because when Shattered came out, it wasn't like I was like, oh, God, can't wait. I was like, <laughs> I was, it, it was more a curiosity because I was like, okay, so this is sort of like the first thing before this wave of Future State shit happens. Let's see what this Shattered thing is. I was curious about it, right? With Forged, you know, I kind of know where we're picking up. I notice, I know sort of where we're at. This is one of those books, uh, and it, you know, it happens sometimes with books. It happens sometimes with comics. And I've mentioned this quote unquote phenomenon in the past. This is one of those things where my eyes just start slipping down the pages and, you know, I'll be like three or four pages down before I realize, Oh shit. I don't, I didn't, I don't remember or comprehend anything that happened in the past three pages. I'm just sort of mindlessly flipping through and I have to go, Oh shit, I gotta go back and read. That's, that's what happened with this, which isn't to say it was bad or uninteresting or anything. It's just something kept, my attention slipping on this thing. Um, at the end of the day, I like the idea of there is one universe out there where everything fucking happened. Uh, the linear verse. So that, that's cool. That's, that's interesting. Um, whatever, you know, it gives you a nice sense of, uh, of continuity and golden age and silver age and, and legacy and all this stuff. So that's, that's interesting. That's cool. You know, it's cool to see a lot of these characters that we haven't seen in a while how they interact with each other. It feels like an, basically though shattered and forged feel like an inconsequential crisis that happens in two each two issues. And in the context of future state, I don't really know why we needed this because the, the, uh, the universe that we get uh, or the multiverse that we get in, uh, in infinite frontier that Mark and I read today uh, again, it's the it's the second of March. This is as we record this. It came out today. The universe that we get, or the multiverse that we get out of that, is a result of death metal, 
uh, and the stuff with Wonder Woman and all that other stuff that happened in Death Metal. I didn't read Death Metal. I read Metal. I didn't read Death Metal. I read a couple of issues of Green Lantern-related stuff from Death Metal, but I didn't read Death Metal proper. I'm sure I will at some point, but I just didn't. So I don't know why we need we needed Shattered and Forged, because e- even to introduce or you know um, give us a reason for Future State, because Future State um, is is kind of like Future's End. Do you need a reason or a, a why as to how you're getting a peek into the fu- potential future of the DC universe? And with whatever is, and I'm trying not to spoil anything because we'll be devoting its own, uh, it'll get its own episode in terms of uh, Infinite Frontiers uh, issue zero. The stuff that, the conversation that takes place in throughout that book between Spectre and Wonder Woman gives you a reason why you that we had these glimpses. Uh, the events of as to why a new sort of multiverse was uh, unleashed or recreated or whatever you whatever wording you want to choose is explained in an infinite frontier what is so in the context of future state uh, in the context of post death metal in the context of reading today infinite frontier what the hell is shattered and forged why did we get this it just feels in, like it like like what i said it is an inconsequential out of left field two issue crisis story i think the reality is we'll never know what this was intended to be because it's pretty safe to say this was part of the whole 5g initiative which which was the original idea of future state and maybe also leading maybe the original precursor and part of infinite frontier but we we know we didn't get 5g as it was originally being thought of and conceived and pushed by didio uh so you probably I think the safe bet is to believe that there would have been that generations shattered and forged probably would have been more consequential and probably were meant originally conceptually to have more of an impact. But you are correct. It, it's an interest. It, it's a cute, interesting story onto itself. I think part one, which is a common theme, obviously, I'm being consistent that I think part one was better than part two. I do think that. It would be cool to see this team again if, under the right circumstances. I, I did a, I did appreciate, even though in this issue it was a little, maybe a little more heavy handed than, you know, the mustache twirling Sinestro and the precursors of, oh, a yellow lantern beam and just, you know, his desire to basically to kill, but he's not going to. And when they're in Electric City and things like that, I would like to, I would be interested in seeing this team again. I think part one was more effective, but I think, first of all, they were always going to be swimming upstream because they picked, they, even though we know, I mean, Jurgens knew who Dominus was because, you know, he was he's a Superman character that he wrote a long yeah. time ago. But most people would not know jack shit about Dominus. I mean, I would have. Uh, so it's and, it, and don't get me wrong. I, I, I would have waited. I would have hated to see Parallax on one level convergence parallax to be wasted in this inconsequential story like this, too. But but at least people would have known who he was. <laughs> but uh, so I think. Because of their choice of villain, this was almost destined not to be in, in, impressive. But I don't know. I, again, I just think it's one of those things we'll never know what this could have been if, you know, if 5G kind of went the way it was originally conceived. Not that I'm saying that would have been better because the way it's 5G was sounding didn't wasn't sounding particularly promising. But then again, it seems like they're doing a lot of what they were going to do in 5G anyway. They're replacing they're replacing a lot of the people, the heroes that were carrying these books. 
a year ago and they're repl- and they're replacing them in some books people are going to be happy like i feel happy for wally west fans that obvious that they they decided to stop dumping on wally west and he's going to be the flash again in the flash book for a while spoiler alert but the reality is uh you know, I'm certainly not happy with where Green Lantern looks like it's going and where the focal point is and every everything we've been reading about and focusing in on for all, since 2004 is kind of seemingly taking a back seat now to a bunch of characters that really we don't know all that much about and maybe haven't cut their teeth uh, or earned it. But so I, I think they really it's unknown what this could have been. I think your assessment is correct. It's relatively inconsequential. And if you've never and if you've never read it, Unless we get thrown a bone somewhere, maybe in in in, in the Infinite Frontier miniseries, that it's yeah you 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 never know you missed anything. Yeah, it's uh don't get me wrong, guys. It was fun to read some Jurgens storytelling, and I felt a lot of Jurgens presence in this thing. Uh, the various art, some of it I liked a lot, a lot of it I liked, some of it I didn't, but. You know, uh, it's it's not like, you know, you can't have one and done's or anything you can't and, and enjoy them. It's not like I, it's it's not like I hated this. It's just I did feel like my attention was slipping off of it all of the time. And when that happens, and I've mentioned it several times before, it's always very hard of hard for me to get a grasp on what the hell is causing my attention to slip in the first place. What don't I like or what is at the very least not appealing to me uh, in capturing my attention, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I don't want to spend any time on it. I think Mark summed it up fine. So you want to just talk some feedback? Yeah. Works. All right. Some feedback. Uh, You want me to do the Twitter stuff? You want to do the emails? Let's start with Twitter. Okay. So I asked, uh, I told Twitter that we were talking about this stuff tonight, just basically posted the album art and said, what do you guys think? Uh, Surprise, surprise. Dan replied first from Mosaic Comics and said, uh, uh, referencing House of L, that is a really good comic. And also Generation Forged is there. (laughs) All right. Uh, Now now you know why him and Jim are such a good team. (laughs) uh jesse says generation uh, generations forged had some cool action but the end with the linear verse just left me confused wasn't this why they did the original crisis one of the one of the things i do like because there have been there have been a lot of comments like this that i've read that dc just has this knack for in their effort to try to clear things up they make things more and more confusing and that and that, but let's, let's speaking of you know parallax. That's one of the reasons they did zero hour because they were because the idea was that that when they did crisis, there still was stuff that they kind of like they didn't really resolve everything, and there were still some some threads that didn't and pieces of the puzzle that didn't really fit well together. So they decided to do zero hour where they were literally going to start time over with. So there was going to be one timeline going forward. So and these things were going to merge all on. It, it is confusing. It's probably less confusing because you basically know it's just one universe in the omniverse that this 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 happens in. But I can understand why it's confusing. It's it's a it's a pretty general concept that it's it's weird. I mean, because you don't really get an explanation for why, you know, these characters age so slowly. You know, why it's possible that the 1930s Batman is can still have all the adventures and do all the things that the 2021 Batman has dealt with. And, and as other characters he's encountered, it is weird. I mean, I guess it's cool. It's kind of cool in a way, because that's how we read, you know, how we read these characters that, you know, the 1970s Peter Parker is still the same character that is dealing with the crap that, you know, in the 2021 books, not counting the clone saga people are just talking straight. <laughs> so 
I think in a way it's like it's almost like a throwing a bone to the fans that it's kind of like see in what in one universe in one universe it, 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 there's a way that it, this all makes sense as I can understand where he's coming from though. 100 percent. All right. And the final one we have is from Michael, who says, I love generation generations forged for the artwork, but the story was a little all over the place. I haven't read House of L yet, but looking forward to it. I think I think it was all over the place, but I'm not going to lie. I don't think, you know, I heard some people say that before I read it and I didn't think it was that bad as to understand what was going on. There are some, some major questions. Like I said, I mean, why didn't Dominus just send them all to a different time, a different place in a different time? Why would you even risk? I, I know you're kind of arrogant, but obviously you think they're enough of a threat that you're trying to exile them in different places where they can't work together. So then if you're not trying to work together as a team, then why not split them all up and send them to like, however many there were seven, like seven different seven different places and timelines and then then they would have been screwed and got you know you send superboy back to thanagar because superboy was running on empty because he didn't have the yellow sun that he never would have gotten out of there on his own and unless there was a way for other car- other members of the team to, to be able to figure out where their their teammates were sent a lot of these characters would have been exiled just like if they never just like if he never sent the people to kill them with, with time, you know, with your Tony Stark time GPS devices. If you never sent anybody to kill them, they definitely wouldn't have been able to come back. So there were some there's a lot of convenience in some of the things, some of the things that happened. I did like steel. I, it's a really good representation of steel, which we haven't we don't get that much lately. So I do like that, that you get the the, the genius level of which is why he was on the team since they grabbed the wrong guy from the Legion. You know, it was supposed to be Brainiac. It wasn't supposed to be Superboy that Commandy grabbed. So I do like that. And I do like Command. I did like the end at the end with old Booster Gold and Commandy being lonely and basically ask is it's that, hey, would you mind sticking around for a while since he's basically has no other human being to ever to talk to? And he said, sure. No. So I thought that was that's that's an that's an interesting team or leads to, to some potential interesting stories. But. Yeah, given the state of DC, I'm not entirely sure we'll ever we'll we'll see anything Commandy related anytime soon. Which does suck. I mean, I I have a I have a soft spot for Commandy because I remember reading that in the 70s. Again, it was the art. It was the Kirby art that as a kid, some and that's in that futuristic world. There's something about that art style in that environment that I really really enjoyed. I have a lot of issues of, of Commandy, so that was. Did you ever, and I know we're, we're, you know, it's not, we're not down to the wire, but I don't want to spend too much time. No, we're but, good. Uh, uh, do you, uh, did you ever read like Eric, Son of Thunder or uh, Aryan, Lord of Atlantis? Any of those other, like, uh, did you, uh, Warlord, any of Warlord. those other sort of. I, yeah, well, actually I do somewhere in my Tubbo books, I do have the, that, the first, whatever DC premiere or whatever it was, the first, the first appearance of Warlord. And I do have a, a whole Warlord number one and a whole I did. That's the only one of those that I did read that I did read uh, when it came out. I know I do know of the other titles that you mentioned because they are in a similar vein and style to Commandy. But I don't think I don't think I have any of those. But Warlord, I absolutely did read Warlord. Yeah, let me pull up my CLZ apps uh, because to see what I have in my collection, because there's a what do I have? Aryan. OK, so. I don't have Eric, Son of Thunder. I don't have Warlord, but I do have the first eight issues of the Arion series from 1982. And I've never read them. Maybe I should sit down and do who Paul Copperberg. Oh, hell yeah. I actually might be interviewing Paul Copperberg for creative credit. 
relatively soon. So that gives me even more of an excuse to, to read that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's just, there's, there's that, there's that sort of section of DC that nobody ever really talks about slash remembers in terms of Commandy and Arian and Eric and Warlord and those things. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, in a different level, it's the way that, like, the horror comics for this, from and Marvel got pushed aside for a long period of time. Or even things like Devil Dinosaur got pushed mm-hmm. aside for a long for a long period of time. I mean, Devil, they always try to make Devil Dinosaur more, um, more mainstream, because I know, speaking of, do you have the, I don't know if, if you have any of these series, but did, do you have any of the Marvel Godzilla series? Uh, no, I don't think so. Because they had that cool time traveling two part episode when Godzilla and Devil Dinosaur went at it and then they teamed up. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That was I had yeah, it was uh Didn't they bring Devil Dinosaur back with uh, was it Moon Girl now it's Moon yes, of course it has to be Moon Girl now, but yes, I remember but I did but I did read I did read Devil Dinosaur. I did read Devil Dinosaur and I do have that. Yeah, I think it was I think it was a two part or something like I'm trying to remember the issues. Maybe it was 18 and 19 or 19 and 20 or something like that in Godzilla, the Marvel Godzilla series that that. Yeah. First Devil Dinosaur and Godzilla squared off, which really was unfair to Devil Dinosaur because he's got the he got the complete T-Rex arms. He's at a serious disadvantage. Forget about the the atomic breath. He just he has the teeny tiny arms. So even if he's physically as strong as Godzilla, he's not going to like wrestle him. But then they ended but then they ended up they ended up they ended up teaming up. So I did. That's what when we're talking about this now, that just made me think of that since Godzilla's in you know in your wheelhouse. It is indeed. Um Speaking of, you mentioned a first appearance. Uh, did you get? Uh, I, I sent you a message the other day, uh, just throwing it out there. I went to Half Price Books the other day, uh, and I'm pretty sure I mentioned the first time I went in terms of picking up uh, the the issues of uh, Hal and the Core and Green Lanterns that I got for a dollar each. Yep. Yeah. So I finally I, I went to a different location. There's you know, tons of Half Price Books all around the Central Texas area here here in Texas. Um, different location closer to my apartment, and I finished out my Hal and the Core run. And once I have more expendable income, I'm going back because I'm pretty sure I can get Lost Army. And um, what was the other one that came after Lost Army? Uh, oh, the, God. It's embarrassing. I can't think the, of it. The other six issues that whatever. Uh, those uh, uh, Red Lanterns, New Guardians. I saw I saw a lot of New 52 Lantern titles that I didn't pick up uh, post John's leaving with Green Lantern 20. Uh because that's when I stopped picking up Green Lantern in terms of issues, uh, floppies to put in my long box. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff over there I can pick. But so I finished my Hal in the Core run, and I've paid half price or less, ha- uh, so a dollar or a dollar fifty per issue for that. But uh, in the just randomly over there, uh, one of the key issues that they had locked up, but it wasn't highly priced. It was five dollars. Guys, I got Showcase number sixty six for five bucks. Uh, and for those of you at home, it's not really like a big deal in terms of nobody, you know, there's no movie or he's not appearing in TV or any cartoons. That's the first appearance of Buona Beast. Uh, I know, again, not a character a lot of people give a shit about, but like a showcase, like an early 60s showcase issue with it featuring the first appearance of a DC character for five dollars. Hell yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> You're an and easy I, mark, I, I, Chad Bokelman. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, I, I, I showed you the photo of it. It's, I know it's you in did. decent it's cool. condition, yeah, right? It, yeah, it is cool. Yeah, it's in decent condition. So, like, uh, it's it's pretty cool. I'm, I, I thought it was a really interesting find. Um, it's cool to it was cool to see. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Let's talk some emails. 
Edge of Oblivion is what we couldn't. No, think that's of. what it was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Brain freezes. All right, so let's start with Dusty. Um, so Dusty says, "I'm a big Guy Gardner fan. Love the podcast. I've been listening for about four years. Thank you very much." Uh, his mom got sick four years ago, and I started. Now, I mean, I read it as me, read it as him. My mom got sick four years ago, and I started to listen to a lot of podcasts to get me through the day. She passed away a little over a year ago. Now I'm living alone, and podcasts get me through the day sometimes. I I hope you get to a 1,000 followers, but remember, it's not how many follow you. It's about the people that do and how you get them through the day. Completely agree with that. Obviously, man, we're sorry for your loss. Absolutely. I don't think either of us want to think about losing our parent like that. No, Uh, not at all. So, uh Definitely sorry to hear that. I'm glad I'm glad we help out. I completely agree with you guys. Look, I, I know it's a Twitter follower contest and that's kind of the point of the whole thing. Um, but uh, just so you guys know, I one of the things I mean, I didn't say I won't say I knew knew it would happen, but I was hoping would happen is that by doing this, we'd sort of kick off a new sort of era of us getting uh, feedback from you guys and hearing back from you a little more. Uh in in that you know part of the rules are you, you have to let us know hey you're you're following us you not, you can't just follow us on Twitter you have to send us an email and and let us know what your Twitter handle is so that so that you can be entered into the contest and every single person who did that also gave us a little bit of something to talk about in terms of their uh, either history with Green Lantern or their enjoyment of us so uh, let's face it Mark and I hadn't been getting feedback for a while. So it was just cool. It was just a cool way to hear back from you guys. So thank you for doing that. Yes, thank you very much. All right. Uh, do you want me to take what's next, or do you want to just go ahead and go to the next one? Uh, I can do the next one if you want. Do Mark. Uh, I really got into the John Stewart story in Future State 2, even though the jargon and background they cited wasn't familiar to me anyways. They got down to what a Green Lantern is all about. The art isn't my thing, though. Like you said, proportions are off and just too cartoony. If it was a classic comic book art, I'd like the story even more. Uh, hope the upcoming series doesn't stick to this style art. Well, you would be disappointed <laughs> after I mean, the first two issues. Yeah, the first two issues you're gonna have <laughs> you're gonna have Dexter Soy, and that's gonna man, that's gonna spoil you. Uh, at least personally speaking, I man, I fucking love everything I'm seeing with Dexter Soy. Um, but uh, I I don't know that I don't know that the 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 regular artist after that is going to like drastically switch his style up. Uh, I, I think we're going to get more of the same. So just uh, as, as, as Scar says in the Lion King, be prepared. Yeah, it is going to make, it is going to make it more strike. The difference is going to be so much more noticeable and striking and not in a good way. When you have art that almost everybody's going to be happy with and to start the book, and then you're going to switch gears and you're going to have art that almost everybody's going to go, huh, what? Which they might do anyway, but if you started the book that way, at least it's like, okay. It's like one of those things where if you start with questionable art and you go to good art, people are going to be happy. If you start with good, if you start, if you start with, you know, good art and go to questionable art, then people are going to be, that's a good way to go, huh? Especially if people aren't digging the story. Let's say people don't like the direction the story's going in, in the first two, in the first two issues to begin with, but they're hanging on because they like the art. Well, you give bad art, question, you know, from the eye of the beholder, bad art and a story that people aren't getting early, are not following or getting into, that could be a big double whammy. So we'll have to, we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, 100%. Why don't you do, Chris, since it's, a, it's more related to you? All right. 
Uh, Chris says, uh, and his his email is titled a "Hard Traveling Heroes 87 Guest Recommendation." Hey Chad, Mark, just listened to two uh, four twenty four. Thanks for reading and responding to my message. The guy you want as a guest to help analyze John Stewart is Jonathan W. Gray. He is a first-rate academic scholar of comics and has done podcasts as a guest. He's your guy for this. Stay well, Chris. Thank you very much, Chris. I will I will check into that. I don't want to sit here and say, yep, that's the guy. He'll be on there. But I will obviously take take any consideration to some uh, recommendations sent by listeners and uh, and give it its fair shake and see if it's a good fit. Uh, there's something there. I mean, there's there's something specific I want to sort of achieve with uh, with the coverage of 87. And I kind of met, you know, obviously I mentioned it uh, in that episode. Uh, that's why you're responding to it. But uh yeah, I just want to I just want to make sure I do 80 uh, my coverage of John Stewart's first appearance right. Uh, there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it, especially as a white guy trying to talk to the importance of uh, this iconic black character. Um, so uh, I, I just I just want to make sure I'm not doing it the wrong way. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. All right. I'll do Russell. Uh, Russell following up on. Our reading of his email, the last episode, uh, from the last feedback episode. Listen to the latest podcast. I wanted to thank you for the kind words about my daily Green Lantern Twitter posts. I heard you all mention the CLZ app. I'm thankful for this app. I have too many books, so it helps when I search for dollar books. Yes, I used eBay to help complete the Series 2 run. I think the most expensive book was Green Lantern 76. The Green Lantern number one I spent spoke about was purchased at my local comic shop. I was lucky because it was on sale and they offer a layaway option. Always layaways a plus. I like to review a far sector. The gap between issues is my biggest complaint as well. I will probably read one through 11 before 12 comes out. The Green Lantern seasons by Morrison is also one I will need to reread before the conclusion. I've enjoyed the different art styles, which Liam Sharp has used based on the two stories in future state. I don't know what to think about Thorns run yet. I will have to wait and see. As stated in my previous email, I haven't been one to listen to podcasts, but now I have four under my belt, two from you and two from the podcast of OA. Good company he's keeping, at least. <laughs> Thanks, Russell. Yeah, 100%. Thank you so much for that. We really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, The Green Lantern Seasons by Morrison. He says you'll need to reread. By the way, guys, issue 12 comes out next week. Final issue. It's next week. Um so I guess that's another thing we have to consider about recording because we said we're going to throw those all together, the ones we haven't covered. Uh, but no rush. <laughs> no offense. Well, let, let's let's in all honesty, depending on how 12 is, my biggest stumbling. Well, actually, the reality is we have we have two relatively timely episodes. We, we already know that we're doing next. So it wouldn't be it would be at least three episodes from this one. If, we, if we're going to do it, quote unquote, timely. My biggest obstacle is I really and I haven't read the issue in a while, so maybe I won't hate it again as much when I reread it, because that does happen sometimes. I don't want to do I really don't want to do issue 10. Issue 10, I didn't like at all because I didn't like issue nine. The whole Sapphire that I didn't like nine. I didn't like 10. Issue 11 is fine as far as a Morrison book goes. And there's some cool things in that book overall. And it's an accessible book, which is. So you hope 12 is accessible, especially because 11 and 12 are clearly getting ready to hand the baton over to Thorn, and that's part of part of what they're doing. Now, 12 may not be as much like that as 11, but 11 was clearly paving the way for the transition. 
So maybe 12 won't be so bad either. So it's really not, it's really 10. So Jim or Dan, if you, anybody wants to come on and do 10, you're, you're more than welcome. <laughs> yeah, hundred uh, percent. I just, I'm not here for it, guys. I'm not here for it. I'm not, I'm tired of pretending and it's going to be over anyway. So, uh, you know, I don't have to pretend. Uh, I just, uh, again, I've said it a thousand times. It is an art book for me at this point. Sharp kills it every issue and does something different and unique. And he's clearly having fun. So kudos to him. And I am more than happy to look at his art and appreciate it for what it is. But I could give a flippity fuck about uh, whatever Grant Morrison is doing right now. So uh, that's, again, that's... At this point, that's not uh, a criticism necessarily of how Grant uh, or, or uh, Grant's writing or anything. It's it's more of in the same way that uh, this Tom Rainey uh, is going to be doing uh, or did his art on Future State Green Lantern, uh, and it's just not art that appeals to me. It's not for me, uh, and uh, there's nothing particularly wrong about it from panel to panel. It's just not something that appeals to me personally. That's exactly how I feel about Morrison right now on Green Lantern. Uh, he's doing whatever he wants, and that's clearly his style, but it is not a style that appeals to me in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I couldn't point to one specific thing he's doing wrong. It's just the way Morrison does his thing is not something that appeals to me, so it's not a style I like. So I'm in no rush to cover it, but as Mark said, couldn't hurt to be, uh, to be uh, you know, talking about it in a timely fashion so i guess to that end we want to just say what's what's happening i mean we've already kind of got it locked down don't we yeah i mean we know barring technical difficulties or acts of god we know as this is chad said march 2nd so this episode should be coming out on, on uh friday but the fifth that mm-hmm. next week will next week we will the plan is wandavision since that ends this week the week, we're rec- the week we're recording this, WandaVision ends, so we're going to do our WandaVision review, the season episode. Then we're going to be doing Infinite Frontier Zero. And after that, we are pretty open. We had I- we have ideas and we have talked about different things, but things are not, n- not particularly topics that we're passionate about, or at least one of us. <laughs> so it may change. So that's why we're, we're will- you know, certainly willing to substitute things in. And I would not. And again, as long as Greenland, the Green Lantern number 12 is closer to 11 than it is 10, I wouldn't have a problem doing that maybe after after Infinite Frontier. So I plus we don't want to kick the can down the road. And I think we want to be more timely, just generally speaking, with whatever we're going to do, whether it's movie reviews, whether it's TV reviews, comic reviews. I think we want to be we want to be able to pivot and do stuff, you know, and react to things more quickly and more timely. So some of the non-important stuff in quotes and the stuff maybe we're less passionate about that stuff can get. And it's also sometimes hand in hand isn't as timely anyway. It's not as time sensitive, but we'll push that stuff down the road to do more important, timely stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. We'll, we'll do whatever, we'll do whatever works. We Mark and I have talked about it. Uh, you know, we have plans. It's just a matter of what, what will work and what won't work. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but yeah, at the very least, the next, uh, the next two episodes, again, as Mark said, barring an act of God or whatever, uh, is, is WandaVision and then 
and then we'll be talking the uh, Infinite Frontier issue. So, cool. Uh, all right. Did we have anything else we wanted to talk about? I don't think so. Uh, and with editing, I think we hit it. Yeah, give or take. We're right on We're right on target, so that's pretty cool. Uh, lanterncast at gmail.com. The website is lanterncast.com. If you like to leave us a, vo- a voicemail, seven or uh, text, 708 Lantern is that number, 708 Lantern. Twitter and Facebook, you can use hashtag GLCast to locate us on those. And we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So whichever platforms you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And that should be it. And we'll be back and we'll be back with our thoughts on WandaVision next week. Yeah. So get y'all's thoughts in on WandaVision as well. We'll True. Talk about that as well. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.